The text for this morning's sermon is Galatians 2, the verses 1 to 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, can you imagine being a slave? Slavery was common in the time when the New Testament was written. Slaves filled many roles, performing manual labor, doing domestic tasks, or even filling highly skilled roles as teachers, accountants, or doctors. Yet, slaves were considered property. They had no legal personhood. At their master's whim, they could be beaten, tortured, or even killed. Their testimony could not be accepted in a court of law. They were considered property, not people. Just imagine being a slave in ancient times, existing solely to do what your master wanted you to do, having your will squashed, denied, trampled, so that you learned only to obey. Not being valued as a person. Not being free. I think that would be the worst part of being a slave. To be in bondage. Under the authority of another at all times. Not being able to make your own decisions to do what you wanted to do. What a burden it would be to have no autonomy, no independence, to be forced to do what another told you all the time. There is another kind of slavery besides 
physical slavery. Sometimes people's belief system makes them into slaves. In ancient times, most people believed in a whole pantheon of gods who ruled over them. They were deathly afraid of of offending any of the gods, and so they offered a variety of sacrifices to appease them. Whenever something went wrong in their lives, they assumed that one of the gods was angry with them. They ended up living in fear, in bondage. In the world today, most religions require their adherents to do something, to live in a certain way, to attain peace or bliss or whatever the highest goal of their faith is. Both the Jewish and the Muslim faith have one thing in common. They are duty religions. They believe that God has set certain prescriptions you must observe to please him and to merit salvation. And similarly, many perversions of the Christian faith also require good works to be saved. The problem with all such belief systems is that they make people into slaves. We are required to keep certain laws or to observe various regulations to be saved. That puts us on a treadmill, running, 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 trying to attain God's favor, but never being sure we've done enough. And what happens when you sin, when you don't live up to God's demands? You have to work all the harder to make up for it. Such a belief system robs people of any joy in serving God. It takes away the assurance of their faith. Beloved, Tuesday is Reformation Day. In the 16th century, the Reformers helped to deliver God's people from a yoke of slavery. They were burdened by a church that taught the need to do good works to merit salvation. They were heavy laden by a doctrine that taught there was always more required of them, that they could never be sure they'd done enough to earn God's favor. This morning we'll see how the Apostle Paul opposed those who wanted to put these burdens on God's people. Our text teaches us to hold fast our freedom in Christ and not to be enslaved by a doctrine of works righteousness. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Paul defends the gospel of grace against those who would make us slaves to the law. We'll consider the slavery of legalism and our freedom in Christ. Paul was, served, Paul was called to serve as apostle of Jesus Christ in a special way. He was converted to the faith when the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. After this, the Lord sent Ananias to commission him to carry Christ's name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Three years later, Paul went to Jerusalem and met with Peter for 15 days. 
Our text indicates that in the face of attacks from the Judaizers, Paul again returned to Jerusalem to speak to the apostles. He did this to be sure that the church agreed that salvation was by grace alone, through faith, not by the works of the law. Paul wanted to be clear about whether Gentile Christians needed to be circumcised or to keep the ceremonial law God required of his people in the Old Covenant. Before Christ came, if a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, he had to be circumcised. It's what the law required. Abraham was told that for the generations to come, every male of his household had to be circumcised, including those born in his household or bought with his money. Deuteronomy 12 specifies that any alien living in Israel who wanted to be part of God's people and to eat of the Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. That was the law the Judaizers were applying to Gentiles who wanted to be part of the Christian church. For Judaizers, the matter went much deeper than just the rite of circumcision. Circumcision was the sacred mark of Jewish identity. As a sign of the covenant between the Lord and his people, it indicated whether you were part of the covenant. Any uncircumcised male was to be cut off from God's people. They were considered to have broken God's covenant. What the Judaizers concluded from this was that if you were not circumcised, you could not be saved. To them, circumcision was essential for salvation. Please understand, beloved, how big of an issue this was to the Judaizers. For generations, God's covenant people had been distinct from the Gentiles. And it was clearly marked by circumcision. But it involved much more. The Jews observed a whole series of laws by which they maintained ritual purity. They had specific dietary laws about what kinds of foods could and could not be eaten and how they should be prepared. They had laws about how menstruation and seminal discharges made you unclean. Anyone who was unclean would make anyone they touched or anything they sat on or leaned against unclean. Because of these laws, the Jews avoided contact with the Gentiles as much as possible. They would not enter their homes or eat with them. All these things would make you unclean. To the Judaizers, the only way to resolve this issue was to force the Gentile Christians to be circumcised and to obey the ceremonial laws. Now, Paul knew all of this. Remember, Paul was of Jewish birth. Prior to his conversion, he was extremely zealous for the tradition of his fathers. He had been part of the strictest sect of the Jewish religion, living as a Pharisee. But Paul had received a revelation from Jesus Christ. He had been shown how salvation was not something earned by keeping the law. Rather, it was a gift of grace given in Jesus Christ. Paul recognized that what the Judaizers demanded was, in effect, 
adding something to the gospel. If Gentile Christians had to be circumcised and keep the ceremonial law to be true Christians, then salvation was no longer by grace alone. Thus, Paul opposes their basic teaching in which they require adherence to the ceremonial law. Paul knows that the law cannot save us. Paul knows of the trap of works righteousness. He knows all about legalism and how it perverts the truth of the gospel. Thus, Paul opposed the false teachers of his day and the doctrine that they taught. So what does all this have to do with us today? We don't require people to be circumcised or to eat or not eat certain foods. It's true, beloved. Yet the old trap of legalism is something that we so easily fall into. It's so easy for us to apply a set of unwritten rules about how good Reformed people are supposed to live their lives. We're inclined to make judgments about one another based on whether or not we conform to what is expected among us. Legalism is an improper fixation on laws or codes of conduct that a person must observe to merit salvation, blessing from God, or fellowship with Him. Now, obviously, we would strongly disagree with the idea that we can merit anything towards our salvation. Yet we can so easily fall into the trap of thinking that by living our lives according to a set code of conduct, we can earn God's blessings or enjoy fellowship with Him. In our church circles, we think that to be a good Christian, you must attend church faithfully. You need to give your first fruits to the Lord to support Christian education, to attend Bible study, to live a generally decent Christian life. Now, please understand me. All these things are good things. You can make a biblical, do- a biblical argument for each one of them. The problem is the premise that you must do these things to be a good Christian. Beloved, does doing things make you into a Christian? The Bible teaches that you become a member of Christ by believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again to give you new life in him. Salvation is not something we attain by living a certain lifestyle. It is a gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ. We don't merit anything towards our salvation. We cannot earn God's blessings. There is nothing we can do that gives us the right to enjoy fellowship with Him. In our church circles, there are certain things that get frowned upon. There are matters that we'd like to have some rules about to ensure some level of conformity among us. We don't like guys getting their ears pierced. 
We don't like girls wearing their skirts too short or their tops too tight. We'd love some rules about what you're allowed and not allowed to do on Sundays. It'd be good to have some rules about whether or not it's okay for kids to trick or treat on Halloween. We think there should be some rules forbidding young people from attending bars and nightclubs. Often we think that by making and keeping certain rules, we can in some way make ourselves pleasing to God. Now, beloved, please understand, I'm not suggesting that all rules are wrong. A family needs some house rules so that children and teenagers know what's expected from them. Our Christian school has adopted certain rules to make it possible for students and teachers and parents to work together in a harmonious way. The point is not that all rules are wrong. The point is we need to learn to live by grace, not by rules. The basic problem with legalism is that by keeping rules, we try to earn favor with God. Yet grace is all about God's undeserved favor towards us. Legalism tries to make us right on the outside. It requires outward conformity to a certain standard. Yet God is much more concerned about us having a circumcised heart, that we're, genu- that we're genuinely sorry for our sins, that we love him sincerely. God knows that all who truly love him will delight in living their lives according to his commandments. There are some further problems with legalism. Legalism results in pride and in self-righteousness. If the focus of our lives is living on according to a certain set of rules, then we can measure ourselves and others according to these rules. And then, like the Pharisees, we so quickly become inclined to look down our noses at others who are not quite measuring up to the standard we've set for ourselves. Grace does the opposite. If we truly understand grace, we know ourselves to be sinful, to be undeserving. When a brother or sister falls into sin, we have compassion, recognizing that but for the grace of God, that could be me. Grace helps us not to take credit for our good works but to give glory to God for working them in us by his spirit. The basic problem with legalism, beloved, is that it brings us into slavery. God established a law to show us how unrighteous we are. Even if you devote yourself completely to the law of God, you cannot keep it. Jesus said that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees followed the law exclusively, but even they could not keep it perfectly. Please, beloved, understand the slavery of legalism. 
trying to earn God's favor or blessing, to enter into fellowship with him on the basis of keeping various laws, makes us into slaves. People running on the treadmill of works, forever striving to obey outward rules. One of the reformers, Martin Luther, tried that with his many prayers, with his righteous works, with his self-denial and his pilgrimages. But no matter what he did, he could never find peace with God. He just could not get himself right with God. He was tormented and in great distress until he discovered that a person is not justified by doing the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. The same applies to us. Any suggestion that what we do can earn us God's blessing or bring us into fellowship with him makes us slaves of the law. It brings us to our second point, and it will consider our freedom in Christ. Paul was brave to bring Titus with him to Jerusalem. Titus was a Gentile convert whom Paul considered one of his co-workers. Titus 1 verse 4 tells us he was like a son to Paul. Eventually he became a prominent leader in the early church, serving as pastor of the church of Crete. Since Titus was a Greek and not a Jew, he was uncircumcised. Paul's opponents could not have known whether Paul had Titus circumcised. So they spied on him. Our text indicates that this matter arose because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, that they might bring us into slavery. It's apparent that they brought charges against Paul before the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Charges that said that Paul was not abiding by the doctrines taught in God's word. He was allowing Gentiles to be Christians without them observing what the law of Moses commanded. It is striking to see what the leaders of the church decided about this. In verse 3 of our text, Paul writes that even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. In many ways, Titus was the test case. He was with Paul, visiting the leaders in Jerusalem. They could have suggested or forced Paul to have him circumcised, but they didn't. For salvation is by grace alone, through faith, and not by works of the law. Paul continues his defense of the gospel in verse 5 of our text. He says, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. These words make it clear that despite the attacks of the Judaizers, Paul and his fellow workers defended the gospel against their attacks. Thus, our text makes it plain that both the church leaders in Jerusalem and Paul took a strong stance against requiring Gentile Christians to live as Jews. Our text also explains why Paul took this stance. 
It's because the false brothers who had spied on Paul and Titus's freedom in Christ wanted to make them slaves. That's what Paul considered the demands of the Judaizers to be, a return to slavery. Why does Paul view the ceremonial laws of Moses in this way? It's because God's people had tried to live by these laws for generations and generations, and yet they could never keep them. These laws put a heavy load on people which they could not bear. Jesus Christ has fulfilled all these laws for us, and so it's no longer necessary to keep them. What does Paul mean when he speaks about freedom in Christ? Freedom in Christ means we're no longer under the law. Our righteousness, our ability to follow the law of God does not determine our entrance into heaven. We are free because Christ has set us free from our sins with his death on the cross. Christ has paid the price for your sins and mine. It's by believing the good news of Christ crucified and risen again that we are saved, not because of anything we must or should or could do. Paul goes on to show the response of the church leaders in Jerusalem. In verse 6, Paul says that they added nothing to his message. They did not try to amend or edit or change the gospel Paul preached to the Gentiles. They did not require more from the Gentile Christians than what Jesus required of any of his followers. Simply to believe in him. The Jewish leaders in the the Christian church simply accepted Paul's gospel as it was. The apostles in Jerusalem recognized that just as Peter had been entrusted with preaching the gospel to the Jews, so Paul had been appointed to preach it to the Gentiles. It's not to say that Peter never preached to Gentiles or Paul to Jews. They did. Yet the focus of Paul's work was different from that of Peter's. Paul had been charged to bring the gospel primarily to the Gentiles. The leaders of the church in Jerusalem, James, Peter, and John, agreed with this division in their work. Before Paul left Jerusalem to continue with his missionary task, the leaders of the Jerusalem church gave him and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. This was not just a simple farewell handshake. It symbolized their unity in the gospel of God's grace in Christ and their common desire to see many come to faith in him. Paul and Barnabas would go throughout the Roman Empire bringing the gospel far and wide. Peter, James, and John would continue their work among God's covenant people, the Jews. Yet they agreed in the teaching of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from the works of the law. So, beloved, let us hold fast our freedom in Christ. Jesus suffered and died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. The good news of the gospel is that we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone. 
It's what the Reformation of the 16th century was all about. It's sad when we see so many different religions requiring people to hop on the treadmill of doing good works. It's even sadder when the Christian gospel is perverted. When brothers and sisters in the faith are told that they must do something to merit God's favor. We cannot add anything to the gospel of grace. You cannot improve on the good news of the cross and of the empty tomb. It is the only way of salvation. It's by God's grace in Christ that we've been set free from the bondage of the law. Let's never go back to that again. Some of you may be wondering, but don't we have to keep the law? Doesn't God require us to live our lives according to the Ten Commandments? We're not free to live however we want, are we? Paul deals with these issues later in his letter to the Galatians. But we can provide a short, simple answer to that question. If Christ has given his life for you, you'd want to give something back to him, wouldn't you? If someone rescued you from drowning in a lake, you'd want to thank him, wouldn't you? God does desire our thanks. We can show our gratitude for his grace by offering our lives as a thank offering to him. Our good works don't merit anything. Yet God accepts them as a sacrifice of praise for what Jesus Christ has done for us. Beloved, we don't keep the law out of duty. We keep it out of love. It's by living thankful lives and obedience to God's commands that we remain in the freedom that Jesus Christ has earned for us. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from hymn 28. We'll sing stanzas 1, 4, and 5. <laughs>